0: Hey everybody and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. It's episode 83 of the podcast. So glad you could join us for it because we've got a very special episode for you today. It's our NHL draft rankings episode. Yes, the draft rankings are here. We're going to talk about them on the show. No Q&A today, just talking about the rankings, some of the notable players, some of the reasons why I may have ranked players a certain way, and I just think that that's uh, our best way to kind of go forward here with this episode. The NHL draft is less than a month away. It's hard to believe. It always seems like it's such a marathon, and then you get to the last month, and it's a bit of a race, and I'll be heading to the NHL Scouting Combine coming up next week in Buffalo, and we'll talk about that next week, but today we're going to talk about the NHL draft rankings. You can find those rankings on flow You make sure you can get that there. Um, it is one through 100 for this draft. I'll also later on, have a late round sleepers and and notable players that I like for later in the draft. That'll come out a little bit closer um, and a ton of draft content coming your way on full hockey. So if you haven't yet, make sure you get over to flow download the flow sports app. You'll be able to see all of our articles and, Read about the draft rankings, and that is what we are here to talk about today. Before we get to that, I do want to mention that the ECHL's Kelly Cup Final will start this week on Flow Hockey. You can subscribe and watch the Florida Everblades take on the Idaho Steelheads in an epic battle for ECHL supremacy, and that starts on June 3rd, so make sure you are subscribed to Flow Hockey. You can access that on a variety of television apps and also the Flow Sports app itself on your mobile phone. And uh, it's a great, it's been a great postseason in the ECHL. I've really had a blast watching it and tracking it. Two very good teams Idaho, the regular season champion, Florida, the defending champion from last season. And how about that? The Florida Panthers and their ECHL affiliate, the Florida Everblades, in their respective championship series. So, pretty good time to be a hockey fan in Florida. All right, let's get to the matter at hand and the NHL draft rankings, because I think that that is what. You are here for. It's what I spend my entire year on. And we're going to start at the very top of the draft. And I'm going to bet that you can't guess who my number one prospect is. There's no way. I'm going to shock you right now. I'm going to it, you're, you're not going to believe it. It's Connor Bedard, the guy that's been number one all season long, and he only solidified that. He's been done playing for a couple of months now, and he is slated to be at the scouting combine looking forward to seeing what. Uh, he ends up doing there. Obviously, he's a he's a bona fide number one pick. He probably doesn't have to do the physical testing. Maybe he won't. We don't know that yet. Uh, but you know, he'll interview with a couple of teams and certainly we expect the Chicago Blackhawks to take him first overall. So Connor Bedard is the number one prospect on the list for the top five. And I gotta tell you, you know, it, that that's the easy part. After that, it gets a little bit harder, but for me, I still think number two is pretty easy. We've talked about him a lot the last couple of weeks. Adam Fantilli is number two on my list. I do believe he's the best option for the Anaheim Ducks to take uh, to take him. I think the thing that makes him special in this class is not only the speed and the skill, but that that mean streak that he plays with, that highly competitive edge, which is so difficult to bring out of the the top, top-end players. Don't see that all the time. And I think Adam Fantilli, that's never had to be coaxed out of him. He plays with that edge, and that's a good thing. I think that that still matters in the IHL. It's not like he's going to be a physically intimidating presence, but he's going to play hard, and he's going to play in all situations and in all areas, and that's what makes him special. He just won a gold medal with Canada at the Men's World Championship, decided to go. He scored a critical goal and a beautiful goal, if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, for team Canada, double IHF, semifinal. He scores the big go-ahead goal, and that allows them to move into the championship game where they ended up beating uh, Germany, who upset the United States. And so Adam Fantilli now has a world junior gold, a world championship gold, and a Hobie Baker as well as a big 10 championship. So he's had a quite a decorated year and now we fully expect him to get uh, his name called as early as second overall. And certainly he is number two on my rankings. So the top five includes now you've got Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli. Well, here's where things got more difficult for me for a good chunk of this year. My number three player was Matt Vamichkov. However, on my final rankings, it's Leo Carlson. Why is it Leo Carlson? We talked about him last week quite a bit. He's got size. He's got skill. He's got high-end hockey sense, and he's a center. He's a big center, a guy that could be a number one center. And when you're looking at a center versus a wing, as brilliant as a goal scorer as Matt Mitchkov is, and as much as I like the player in terms of his skill set and his superstar potential, I do think Leo Carlson has the potential to be a number one center in the NHL. Played for Sweden at the men's world championship at the center position, and to see him do that with Lucas Raymond, played with Uniten Berggren, he played with Alex Nylander. He made those guys better. They made him better. They all complemented each other. He showed his maturity. He showed his decision making. You know, I believe he scored three goals in the tournament as well. And on top of that, had one of the great draft eligible seasons in SHL history. So this is a guy that's put together a tremendous year. He also doesn't have that risk factor that comes with Mitchkov, you know, which isn't just the Russian factor or the contract factor or anything like that. It's also the size. And, you know, can can Mitchkov impact the NHL game in the same ways that Leo Carlson's going to be able to? Ultimately, I made the decision that I thought at the center position, if that is Leo Carlson's long-term game, I think he has the hockey sense, the offensive capability, the size, all those different things that put together to make him a better option in that position, so I think that that is is a great place for for Leo Carlson to be. And number four, it's Matt Vay-Mitchkov. I do think that the gap between four and five is a little bit bigger, um, but not that big, not as big as it used to be. Because I do have Will Smith at five, who I'll talk to talk about in just a second. But we've spent a lot of time on Mitchkov throughout this year. The things I want to make clear, you know, when when I make this list. I'm not making it with the idea of what are the risk factors that, that Mitchkov isn't going to sign. I don't think that that's necessarily a risk factor at all. Obviously the geopolitical situation in Russia, Russia, that does create a risk factor. The fact that he's under contract for three more seasons does not bother me because in the end you're only losing one year. Really? I mean, I, this is not a player that was going to be NHL ready next year. He might not be NHL ready the year after that you're getting three free years of development. For Matt that that is why I think you're you're really only losing one year of what we would expect his potential NHL impact to be. Now, the other thing with him is I do think there's still a significant risk factor. He's not a big player. He's not an amazing skater. He's fine, you know. But I do think that his hockey intelligence is among the best in this class. I think that his uh, his offensive awareness is is among the best in this class. You know, I think Connor Bedard and he are very neck and neck in terms of those kind of discussions. tremendous shot, tremendous creativity, good hands, all those different things. That's what makes me believe that Matthew Mitchkov could be a superstar player. And it's easy for me to put him at four. It's a lot harder for an NHL team that's picking at four, five, six, seven to say, we're willing to take on that risk. So I do want to recognize that. But Matthew Mitchkov, number three prospect for me, or number four prospect for me, rather, uh, right after Leo Carlson. And that moves us into number five. And we'll go through the top fifteen here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take a little break between the five and the and 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 the fifteen. But uh, we also want to talk a little bit about some of the guys that will be available later. And I also want to give you a little bit more insight into the process of of creating these draft rankings as well, because I think that's something I do get questions about, and it is something that I think is is good to be transparent and and things like that. But as I go into number five here, you know, I think it does get. To me, I think that the five is now more defined. I do feel like Will Smith has moved decisively into that fifth spot. Um, He's been there for a while for me. I think that he's been a guy that that I expected to be part of the top five conversation throughout this season. He's made significant strides in his own development. He's gotten physically stronger. He's become a bit of a better skater. It's still not a huge strength of his, but I do think he's one of the more dynamic, creative players in this draft. He's got tremendous puck skills, elite vision great distribution ability. You know, I think there was some concern about his compete level coming into the season. I didn't see that as as big of a risk factor. You know, I do think there are teams that aren't a hundred percent sure if he has the size to play center at the NHL level. I do think that he's going to physically mature more. He still has room to grow into his frame. He can get stronger. And I still think that he could be a play driving center in the NHL. I think it's going to be a very interesting discussion for teams that are debating between Matthew Mitchkov and the rest of the field how much that how much of a discussion it really is, you know, I think we could see a guy like Will Smith go as high as three in this draft. I don't think we'll see him go two, but I do think we can see him go as high as three in this draft. It's not out of the question, you know, having the Columbus blue jackets with this this need at center and and wanting skill and wanting some some out you know to 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 have that guy. I don't think they've really ever had a player like him. That's what I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Will Smith in terms of his overall development. Can he get to that level where he can be a top tier center? Now, I think Leo Carlson, the reason that I have Smith, you know, fifth and Leo Carlson third and Fantilli second, and you know, I think that there's a little bit less certainty and and there's never any real certainty when we're talking about players that are, you know, years away from their development, but But I think Will Smith is a guy that has a little bit of a longer development timeline ahead of him, even though he was so good at the under 18s this year with 127 points. I do think that he still has time to develop and needs to get stronger, better, you know, needs to refine his game a little bit more, needs to take a fewer, you know, some some fewer individualistic chances and more, you know, distribution because he has those capabilities. I really do think that he has those skills and those are the things that I like about his game overall. So Will Smith, very, very good player. Um, I do think that he's going to be a center at the NHL level. I think he's going to be a play driver, and I think he could be an impact player down the road. Um, but again, I, I think we're looking at at least a two-year NHL timeline. I, I, you know, There's a potential that he could be one and done in college, but that's very infrequent anymore. We're seeing more guys stay for the two years, and I think that's probably the best path forward for him so that he goes straight into the NHL after his sophomore season. Um I just like the player a lot. I've liked them all season long. You can check out our features on Will Smith. We have multiple uh, pieces on Will Smith on flowhockey.tv, including a, a a video just that really explains, you know, how he approaches the game, the things that matter to him, um, what his teammates think of him, and you know, I think he's he's certainly proven it this year that he's among the top tier players. But that's the top five. You got Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, Leo Carlson, Maffe Michkov, and Will Smith, and that is the top five of Flow Hockey's first ever NHL draft rankings in the final draft rankings heading into the draft. And it's been my pleasure to create that, put that through. But as I've done that, I did want to take some time to go through the process. And the process of ranking players, I don't think that my process of, of, of going about a ranking has changed my process of evaluating players has changed the way that I weight certain things. And I was asked this recently on a radio interview about, you know, what, you know, how have, how has, has your process changed? And the thing is, is that, you know, I think the one thing that has been a constant throughout my entire time and, and certainly even more so now is that hockey sense and that catch all term, I know it can be a little bit wonky to, to, to figure out, but, what What I think is important with that with 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 hockey sense is you know uh, trying to define it is difficult, but to me i've I've said this before on the podcast I'm gonna say it again it's it's you know vision, anticipation, feel for the game, timing, space, those different things, being able to you know identify the correct outlets, being able to absorb pressure, feel that pressure, make the right play off of it. Um, The ability to anticipate where the puck's going to go, the ability to anticipate where the play's going to go, um, you know, how, and that, that manifests itself differently in different players, you know, defensive players, how are they on their, you know, do they know when to step up on the gap? Do they know when to close off? Are they good with the angling and just understanding time and space well enough to know when they have to cut off a player? or when they have to make that outlet pass. I mean, those are the types of things that hockey sense encompasses. And if you don't have that, if you're not able to process the game quickly enough, if you're not able to keep up with the, with the mind, because the hockey sense can make up for a lack of foot speed, a lack of size, a lack of, um, you know, tremendous hands. Can you at least, you know, you still need to execute off of that, but do you at least have the wherewithal to know when, what to do and when to do it? And that is very difficult to define. It's difficult to track. But I do think that this is gonna be um a very, you know, that 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 will always be the most important thing. The the show is called Talking Hockey Sense, and it's you know, talking sense, blah, blah, blah. But hockey sense is the most important thing. Um, and that's why we talk about it so much. Um, but that's a big thing. You know, I think skating has become a much more more important component. However, as important as skating is in hockey, what we've seen is guys like Jason Roberts and, you know, guys like even that Matthew Kachuk was not, you know, he was, he was panned for his skating. So it was Brady Kachuk. You know, I always thought their skating was okay. Like it wasn't amazing, but it was fine. It was good enough. But, you know, those are the types of players where, you know, they, they just have such tremendous hockey sense that it, it doesn't matter as much, but being able to play fast is, is thinking the game fast, moving pucks quickly, but it can also be skating quickly. And I do think that these players, um, you know, that, that we're seeing in in these draft classes, you know, skating is such an important component to the modern NHL. The game is only getting faster. The players need to be able to move. It's especially important for a defenseman to be a good skater. I think it's harder and harder for defensemen that have weak skating ability to make it in the NHL. And so that's something that absolutely comes into play every time we talk about these players. And so skating is a big thing. Um, you know, skill is another thing that's important to me. And I think it used to be more important because, you know, great, good hand skills, good one-on-one ability, the ability, you know, being able to handle the puck. I think the thing that I've taken into a much greater account when it comes to puck handling and puck skills is how does a player receive a pass? How does a player distribute the puck? How does a player, you know, what does the release look like on the, on the shot, different things like that. I mean, the shot is part of Uh, ultimately part of puck skills we usually separate it out you know for me it's certainly a a major part of the discussion process you look at Connor bedard and there's nobody that shoots a puck like him so you know that's that and and that shot makes him unique in the class you know then you've got a guy like uh uh, mitchkov who's able to make all these different plays, Will Smith, who has great one-on-one ability, you know, those are all important things. So skill is important. It'll always be important. It allows those players to execute at a higher level, but you can be a small player with skill. You can be a slow player with skill and you can be, you know, a a not so smart player with skill. And if you aren't, you know, having that skill does not make up for the other things. So that's why skill has moved further down the list in terms of priorities, but it's still a very important factor. The other thing that I think has really come into my process for ranking players is context and precedent. Um, Historical precedent helps. Like, you know, I I always use Alexander Barkov as a tremendous example of how understanding context allows you to better evaluate a player. The first year I ever did a draft rankings was the Barkov draft, you know, it's Nathan McKinnon, Seth Jones, Jonathan Durant. And I had ranked Barkov, I think, like sixth or seventh that year. And part of it was because he was like, "Wow, he had this great season in Finland, but you know, I, I I'm not sure if he has the upside. You know, he's he's got the big frame. He's always been bigger. You know, of course he was going to be fine, but he had one of the, a, a historic season in Finnish hockey. He had a he had one of the most productive seasons for a player of his age in the history of that league, and understanding that would have provided greater context to me about how special what he did in Finland was. So understand. So that's when points and different things like that. Yes, they matter to a certain extent, but they don't matter without context and without seeing how a player, you know, did that. How did they, how did they create those chances? How did they get those points? So you have to combine those things, but having a better understanding of context precedent. The other thing that I, that, you know, and this is something that, you know, when I've had conversations with my pal, Corey Promen, and of course, you know, we, ha- we have multiple conversations on the athletic hockey show on our prospect series there um, we talk about, you know, is there anybody that looks like this player in the NHL? Is there anybody that has done that? You know, who are the players that are similar when it comes to size, when it comes to skill, when it comes to production, you know, all, you know, if we're saying, okay, well, this player, how many players that look like this player in the NHL, it gives you an idea of the risk factor, gives you an idea of the probability of a player like that reaching the NHL, which is ultimately when we're making these lists, we're trying to project players that are going to be in the NHL. We're trying to make sure that, you know every player on our list we we feel will get drafted or we feel should get drafted um and they'll ultimately make the NHL that's what we're trying to do most of the time here but i think that that's something that will continue uh you know to to develop but that's part of the process when it comes to ranking players it's like the greatest either or or if this, then that, or would you rather, it's basically, you know, would you rather the top six defense to the top six forward or top four defenseman? Would you rather a number one center or a number one defenseman? And those are the types of discussions that you have with yourself as you're making these lists. You know, you're also thinking about the different things like all of those skills that I came up with, you know, who are the best at these things and who does most of those things well. And then, you know, you start whittling your list down and you say, okay, well this guy doesn't have that, but he has this, so I can put him here you know, that's kind of how that whole process works. It's inexact. It can be, you know, it's obviously very subjective. It'd be nice to remove some of that subjectivity, but it's actually really hard to do it because, you know, ultimately we're playing a bit of a guessing game here. Um, But, you know, and, and one other thing about context that I forgot to mention is also understanding development curves, development arcs, watching how players do like, did a player have a significant uptick in predict production this year? Was it simply because they got more ice time or was it actually because they put added more to their game? You know, I think you look at a guy like, like a Will Smith, you say, well, his skating has improved some, he's able to get to the middle more. He's, you know, he added some strength. He needs to add more, Um, you know, different things like that are, are important to contextualize where a player ultimately should go. But You know, it's, it's a tough thing to do. It's a tough thing to get your arms around, but it absolutely, um, you gotta, you gotta go in depth and you have to try to be as rigid as you can with that, uh, in order to make these rankings. So when you see a player and you say, why is he here? I might not have the, you might not get the full explanation within the rankings, but if you always, you can always ask me and say, Hey, why is this guy here? What did you think, you know, about, about that? Um, so I'm always available on Twitter at Chris M Peters. You can yell at me there. All right. We're going to move on to the next group of players in the draft rankings. We're going to talk about the top 15 and then we're going to move on to the guys that I have in the late first round and the, and the second round gems and the goaltenders. Cause I wanted to talk about those individually on this show, but today we're, you know, right now we're going to talk about numbers five through or numbers, sorry, number six through 15, uh, because we, we have. Uh, You know, we already mentioned Will Smith. So Will Smith's number five, but then you got at number six, Ryan Leonard. So on the same line as Will Smith, I think that he's been a big riser this year. The biggest thing that I needed to see from Ryan Leonard was his, his continued progression. Like I had concerns that, you know, was his hockey sense good enough to be, you know, among like he played with two guys with elite level hockey sense in Will Smith and Gabe Perot. And I think that that showed, it didn't show that Ryan Leonard didn't have hockey sense. What it showed is that you know he was actually able to finish a lot of the chances that those guys created, and he created his fair share of chances as well. And then you start to see more and more as the season progresses and his numbers continue to go up, and he scores 50-plus goals at the NTDP. He wasn't simply a passenger. He wasn't simply a guy riding the coattails of two highly productive line mates. What he was was he was the guy that was digging pucks out of the corners. He was the guy that was battling at the net front. He was the guy that was – making the hit and, or taking the hit to make a play. And you constantly hear about high character player, high energy, high, high work ethic, incredibly skilled. Uh, You know, he's, he's five foot 11, which is not a big, which is not, you know, in hockey terms, not big. He is a bull on skates though. And he knocks guys over and that makes a difference. And so I think that Ryan Leonard of the players outside of maybe Adam Fantilli, he's the kind of guy that, you put him in your lineup, people are gonna be aware of him there, and he's gonna make sure that they're aware of him every single shift. And and then on top of that, he can score. So he's got skill, he's got speed, he's got strength, he's got a lot of those tools. I do think that he's gonna be a top tier, you know, top six forward, you know, in the in the mold of the Brady and Matthew Kachuk, but in a smaller package because he's not quite as big as those two two guys, but who who have obviously made uh, great strides, but I think that Ryan Leonard has a lot of potential. One guy who is bigger, and I think the size and the hockey sense are two of the the key factors for me with Matthew Wood. And so Matthew Wood comes in at number seven, played at UConn this year, was a point-per-game player. Another thing that helps solidify Matthew Wood as a top 10 and also a top 7 prospect for me in this draft his tie, his sense of timing and space i think is so important but not only that he has the ability to go down and play down low be hard to play against at the net front win battles in the corners he's not going to be a physically imposing player but he plays a heavy style and he allows himself to get to the areas where he can score goals he has soft touch on the puck so that's good to see from a bigger player the skating is a concern absolutely for me i think that the skating is going to continue to be a concern but again i think this is where hockey sense the physical strength and then the his ability to finish come into play, and that's why I think Matthew Wood is a top tier potentially top six scorer in this draft. Um, a guy that could be uh, a big time goal scorer, a guy that's going to help make your team better with his offensive capabilities. I really like what he brings to the table um, you know so he's got the size benefit, and then he's also got that hockey sense benefit um, if you watch him play. You know, he's just as liable to go dig that puck out of the corner as he is to kind of find the soft area of the ice, pop into space, and make himself a threat to score. Um, and that's something that I think great goal scorers do at an alarming rate at the NHL level. You know, even though he's this behemoth, you know, at six foot three and strong, he still is able to kind of get lost in the in the offensive zone and, and the 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 opposing defenders don't get to him in time, and then he's able to score. You know, and as we get, and I just want to say, as we move down this list, this is a tough list to put together, especially this year. I think the top 15, top 20, top 25, you know, there's some really good players that end up getting left out of this particular uh, process. But at number eight, I've got Zach Benson from the Winnipeg Ice. Benson has been a highly productive player in the WHL. He is not a big man. He is not a, an elite skater, but he has really good skill, high-end hockey sense, uh, great vision. And the thing that I think, separates him from other players. And the reason that I still have him as a top 10 pick, despite size and skating concerns is his effort level is off the charts. He is one of the best and most aggressive players at battling. You know, Connor Bedard said earlier this season, he was one of the toughest players to play against because he is never stopping. He is always on you. He's on pucks. He turns pucks over, you know, you get, he get, he forces turnovers. He makes, makes, defenseman uncomfortable, not because he's going to put him through the wall, but because he's going to take the puck right off of him. And he does it often. And I think that's such an impressive trait of his. The motor is always running. He is, you know, he's aggressive and then he's smart on top of it. And you look at the production that he had this year on top of his ability to make those kinds of plays. I'm a big Zach Benson fan. I still believe he's a top 10 prospect. I think that, you know, some of the guys, I feel a little more safer Uh, a little safer projecting those guys in, uh, you know, top six roles. This is Benson, you know, he's going to have some work to do. He's going to have to improve the skating. He's going to have to, you know, be strong, but I do think that Zach Benson has a lot of the skills except for the height. That's really all. That's the only thing he's lacking for me. I mean, the skating is, is what it is. It's not, you know, detrimental to his NHL projection. I don't think it's not, helpful, but it's not detrimental. Um, and so I think that he has enough tools to be a guy that can find a role and be an impactful player at the NHL level at number nine, we've got Dalibor Dvorsky. And I think his under 18 world championship was one of the better performances that he had this season. He was able to show he can dictate games. He can take over shifts. He can make plays. And that was, it. you know, it didn't matter the opponents. He was able to, to do that. And he made those around him better. Um, I think that that showed his competitiveness. I think it showed his skill. He's a really gifted scorer. If you give him the time and the space, he's going to put it in. Um, but, you know, I think he can also create time and space for himself. And I also think that he's pro- improved his game off the puck. As he gets stronger, he'll only be better in those ways. But he's shown a, a commitment to playing off the puck, which I don't necessarily think was there earlier in his career because this is a guy that's we've been talking about for the last 3 years and um while I don't think that he's the player we thought he was going to be necessarily 2 years ago he's still a high end player for this class and certainly a guy that's going to make an impact down the road going to start running through these a little bit quicker now cuz you know, we finally have a defenseman at number 10 and it's David Reinbacher, uh, you know, played in Switzerland this year. He's Austrian. He played at the men's world championship, got hurt, but he was able to come back. Um, he is slated and invited to go to the, the scouting combine. So we'll see how he, uh, if he's healthy enough to do the physical testing, but he's a six foot two right shot defenseman with tremendous skating ability. I think the hockey sense is really good. His, his production at the pro level in Switzerland this year was outstanding. Um, you know, and that the, the, you know, Roman Yossi is the only defenseman at his age that has scored more points than than he had this season. And I think Reinbacher, while um incomplete at this point, has the upside and is one of the few defensemen with the upside that I think you know projects more comfortably into a top top pairing or top four role. Um, and so there are not going to be a lot of defensemen taken in the first half of the first round. He's going to be the earliest defenseman taken. I think it is now consensus that he's the number one defenseman available. Um, at least you know industry. I'm sure there are some teams that have Sandin Pelica or Tom Vlander or other players ahead of him. Uh, but I do think that uh, that that David Reinbacher, uh, for me at number ten, is worthy of a top ten selection. At eleven and twelve, we got a couple of teammates: Gabe Perot and Oliver Moore. And, and Gabe Perot is uh, is one of the the smartest players in this draft. I think his vision is elite. His, his playmaking ability is 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 high end. Um, he's not an amazing skater, and he's not the biggest guy. But boy, does he have some creativity and understanding of how to create offense. I think you know between him and Matt mitchkov and, and Connor Bedard, we're talking about some of the best brains in terms of how they think about offense, how they create offense. Their anticipation, the way they read uh, defenses. And, you know, I think Gabe Perot, who, who, I mean, 132 points at the national team development program this year, I mean, numbers that I simply never, ever, ever imagined, never imagined would be possible there. And he did it. You know, he had multiple four or five point games where, you know, sure, he's playing with Will Smith and Ryan Leonard, but he was making those guys better. Um, I think if he was a little bit of a better skater, he'd be a top 10 pick, no doubt. Um, and, but, but I do think, you know, at 11, that's an aggressive enough place for me, uh, because of the size and he doesn't always have the, the, the intensity. Um, he doesn't, but I think it's just because he plays the game in a very poised way and that's great to see. So I think that, you know, he's a guy that, that is absolutely going to be, um, you know, he'll be available in that range. I'll be interested to see where he ultimately goes. But I think Gabe Perot is an exceptional young talent and a guy that that I have a lot of time for as a uh, as an offensive player and a potential top six guy. And number twelve, Oliver Moore, the best skater in the draft, explosive. I mean, he is a, he's basically a sports car on ice. Uh, the way that he is able to move, um, I think that his hands are starting to catch up to his brain to, to his feet a little bit because he's you know he he is moving so fast, so he has to process the game a lot faster. I'm sure there are times where he could potentially slow the game down a bit more. Um, but I just think that that skating tool that he has, and that he has enough hockey sense that he's going to figure it out. I also think that he made some of the most, uh, str- the strongest physical improvements among players in the class this year. you know, added weight, added muscle. Um, he's very lean, but very strong, sturdy, hard to get off the puck. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, hugely important to have an Oliver Moore that can absolutely wheel that can play on the PK that can play you know he's good defensively he's responsible um, and then he's got that offensive ability really good shot on him too which uh, you know hopefully we'll get to see more last three here bunch of CHL players Nate Danielson two-way center high end scorer, like his shot, like his ability to make plays. I think he's, you know, just a very versatile player. He's got good size, good strength, nothing super flashy about him, but he just is effective. He's at number 13 at number 14, uh, a very skilled player in Braden Yeager. I think his hockey sense and his skating ability um, and his, his skill are all good enough. Uh, The skill is, uh, you know, outstanding. His vision is outstanding. He makes a lot of plays, produces at a high level, you know, uh, average size but certainly a guy that as he gets stronger will be harder to knock off pucks and then when we're talking about strength it's hard not to talk about colby barlow from the oshawa generals and and his ability to um just really be just strong sturdy competitive and then he can score really good shot on him gets to the good scoring areas gets into the corners battles competes high character you know as a guy that wears the c Uh, Got a lot of time for Colby Barlow and what he's accomplished in his young career. So that's the top 15. So Ryan Leonard at six, Matthew Wood at seven, Zach Benson at eight, Dalibor Dvorsky at nine, David Reinbacher, 10, Gabe Perot at 11, Oliver Moore is 12th, Nate Danielson, 13th, 14th, Braden Jaeger, and 15th, Colby Barlow. That is your top 15 of the flow hockey NHL draft rankings. So make sure you go read those rankings to get more context as to why players are where, and you can also see the rest of the top 100. But I will summarize a little bit more for you before we get out of here. <coughs> Excuse me. Want to talk a little bit about the guys that I think are going to go in the late first or early second round, as well as some of the other guys that I see more as second round gems for this class, because I think that that is where a lot of people we've talked, we've spent so much time on the top of this class and that's why these draft rankings that go a hundred or more deep, you're able to kind of see some of the other names that maybe aren't getting talked about in this setting as much. And I wanted to at least put a, a spotlight on some of those players. And that starts with a defenseman that I, you know, we talked a lot about how this is not a, a great year for defensemen, but I think late in the first round, we're going to see a bit of a run on that next tier because I think you've got David Ryanbacker, Axel Sandin, Pelica, um, Tom V. Lander. I think those are, probably the the most consistently top three guys. But then that next year, you've got guys like this one, Tanner Molendyke, who, uh, you know, played for the Saskatoon Blades this year. Incredible skater, just remarkably gifted skater. You know, he's about 5'11". So he's, you know, slightly below average size for an NHL defenseman, but the skating ability is, is, is elite. I think that he moves exceptionally well. On top of that, he's got good skill, but he didn't have great numbers this year. So we're going to wait and see. You know, I think that there's, that that's why he is a little bit lower on a lot of lists. Is that you know he he didn't really produce a ton this year, but I do think that the the foundation of skills is there. I think his hockey sense is good enough. But you know I also think that it's so important to have a defenseman that can skate, and there are few in this class that skate better than he does. So I've got Tanner Molendyke, excuse me, as a high high. You know uh, I have him at twenty seventh on the list, but that's a guy that I think could potentially slot into a top four down the road. And I think he plays the game much more, you know, in line with the modern style NHL, which I think is so important. So a guy like Tanner Molendike, that's, uh, you know, late first round. I think we're going to see him go possibly goes into the second round, but that's a player that I think a lot of teams are going to be keying on as the draft moves on into the late first day, early day two. like him a lot, the skating again, a huge trait, you know, I've talked about him on this podcast before. I've talked about him a lot throughout the draft season. I still have Charlie Stramel as a first round prospect. I know that that's not necessarily the most popular opinion in the public sphere, uh, but the, the, you know, this is a player that I've been watching for three years and I've, I've seen his development. Um, And while I was not impressed by what we saw this year at Wisconsin, I do think that he is going to be better in year two. We, you know, a number of players have had tough freshman seasons just so happens this is his draft year. There's a little more spotlight on it. Didn't produce. You know, I think that there are there are times where I, I, I question his hockey sense, but I've seen too many things from him. He's I think he's an elite athlete. I think his athletic toolkit is 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 outstanding. He's strong. He's got some snarl to him. He likes to play the body. He is going to find a role very easily on an NHL team, I think. Down the road. Now it could be a bottom of the lineup role. Could be a top three, you know, a third line kind of situation, or maybe even a fourth line. But I do think he's going to be an everyday NHLer. I think he's going to make plays. I think he's going to provide scoring depth. And I do think that there's a lot to like about his overall skill set. He's got a good shot. He's a good skater. Um, You know, I think that he, he he's starting to improve in terms of his ability to make a few plays, he can kill penalties. He's responsible defensively. He's versatile enough to find a role. And that's why I think that Charlie Stramel for me remains a first round prospect. Now I am a 29th, so it's not like I'm, I'm putting a a number one first round pick with a bullet kind of stamp on him, but I do feel like he's a very good player and I'm really excited to see what he brings to the table next year at Wisconsin under Mike Hastings, which I think will be great for his development. These get pushed in a lot of different ways. He's going to find a way to make uh, a, a bigger impact in year two at Wisconsin. Moving into some of those second round picks, and these are guys that are kind of spread out. One of the guys that I feel like I'm a little high on. I know there are some that are even higher than I am, but I, I still feel like this is a, there's, there's, there's a risk reward here at number 38, Grayson Sachin from the Seattle Thunderbirds. And I think that he is one of the more unique puck handlers in this draft. I think, you know, it's, as I mentioned, skill is on the list, but it's a little bit further down. But if you're a player that I think like him, where there's some good sense there, it's not elite hockey sense, but it's good hockey sense. You know, it's, it's the ability to make plays. There's creativity to him. The thing that strikes me, about Grayson Sachin is how long he's able to extend plays, how long he's able to hold the puck on his stick, how many times he's able to extend a play to, to get away from a defenseman, to create that little extra opportunity of that little opening for a teammate and then find them. I think he's going to finish more plays next season when he's going to have to be relied upon at Seattle in a way that he wasn't this year. He's you know he's on a star-studded roster. It's hard to stand out in those teams and those situations, yet Sachin still does it. And I, I've got a lot of time for him. I think he's a good player. I think he's going to be a really good, uh, uh, you know, a guy with top six, out fringe top six potential. I think it's, you know, more likely he's down the lineup a little bit. But I think he has good compete level. I think that he has the hockey sense. And I really do think the puck skills are high end. Moving down, and we go to a bit of a throwback, and this is number 41, Maxime stirback who I had as a first-round prospect at the beginning of the season after a few viewings at the very early stages of the year. Love the skating ability. I think that he makes a lot of good reads. I think he's a good defender. Um, you know, I think that he's, he's gotten better in that regard. I think that his offense is going to come a little bit more. We're still waiting to see that. I mean, he is going to Michigan State. He's going to have an opportunity to play a pretty big role there. I think development-wise, that's going to be important going forward. Uh, But, man, I'll I'll tell you what, Maxime Stirback, I think for me, it's all about upside with him. You watch the way that he played at the World Junior Championship. You watch the way that he played at the Under-18 Worlds. This is a player that is mature, that has a full understanding of what he needs to do, and I think he only got better as the season wore on. I think that the year in the USHL that he had with the Sioux Falls Stampede was massively helpful for his development. <laughs> and I do think that, you know, what he what he learned this year was, you know, being more defensively responsible, making quicker decisions with the puck, and being decisive and being poised. And I think that those are things that he can be as he moves on. I think his offensive sense still needs a, way, a ways to go, and that's why I dropped him out of the first round. But at 41, that's still a, a player that I have a, a lot of respect for. And uh, I feel very strongly that he's got a chance to make it moving moving through this uh, these next stages of his development. All right, a couple more of these that just want to get through. Carson Rakoff from the Kitchener Rangers. The thing, that, the reason I point him out, I have him at forty four. You know, I think he could be a lot higher. I think he could have been a first rounder this year. <coughs> Excuse me. I think he could be a first rounder this year. It, you know, if certain things went right. The thing about Carson Rakoff is, you know, you didn't always see the, a consistent effort from him. You didn't always necessarily see his best every night. And when you're in your draft season, you have to be much closer to that more frequently. It's so important to have your best consistently. And that, that decreases questions about effort level, compete, all those different things. But the things that I know about Carson Rakoff is he's got really good size. I think his skating is fine. His, his skills are very good. He's got great, you know, he's got top six skill. Um, he's got an NHL frame. It's just a matter of finding that edge, finding that next step. And if he can get there, he has a chance to be a very valuable pick. I think that there's a chance he could be a very early second round pick. I just think there's enough risk there with the inconsistency that we saw this season in Kitchener that you can't put that first-round stamp on him. And I don't think a team is going to. But I do think that an early second-round pick, those are the types of guys where you say, we're going to get an NHL player out of this. I do think that he is that. And and I think that that's where teams are going to go. So I do have him at 44th. At 52nd, I have Jaden Perron from the Chicago Steel. And Jaden Perron has been a a bit of a polarizing prospect. I think he's been very popular in the public realm. He has been um, not as beloved in the scouting community. But I do think that his second half of the season and particularly his playoffs were eye opening. You know, he had to play the first round away with, with no Macklin Celebrini and he managed to be, you know, his team's leading player. You know, he was, he was, he was driving play. He's got good skating ability. He's got good skill. He's got some dynamic elements, but he's not a big guy. You know, is, is he dynamic enough at his size to be able to produce at the NHL level? He's going to the University of North Dakota this year. He's got a long, you know, he's got plenty of time. He's got plenty of time to figure things out. Really like the player a lot. Um, I, you know, I think 52nd is high, you know. <clears throat> I think 52nd is aggressive. But I know that there are people that think he should be a first rounder. Um, and I'll tell you what, I think he competes well enough. I think he he does a lot of things well. We'll see where he lands. I don't. I don't think that the the scouting industry is as high on him as as we are in the public realm, um, in the public sphere or the you know the list that you can read wherever. But I do think Jaden Perron has a lot to offer. Um, and he didn't have a great start to the season, but I really liked how he finished it, and that's that's where I see him, um, as a second round pick. A little bit further into the second round, um, this is another guy who size is going to be a major concern, but I think between his skating and his skill level and and his sense. Luca Pennelli has a real good opportunity to, to get drafted and to, to find a way um, at 5'9, five, 5'10, five, you know, he's, he's not necessarily um, the biggest guy. He needs to get stronger physically, but I think he's got some tenacity to him. I think he competes. I think he plays well off the puck. Um, you know, he does enough and the skill and the skating and the shot are all reasons that I have him in the second round, even though he is an undersized player, Um, And there are enough, you know, concerns, but I think he does enough. Well, those are the types of players that, you know, is there, is there something special about them? And I do think that some of the things that he does while I wouldn't call them necessarily special are high end enough where I'd say this guy has the tools to potentially make it. And that's why as a late second, you know, I think he's worth a gamble there. All right. Do you want to move into goalies now and goalies? This is an interesting, interesting draft for goalies. I don't have a goaltender slotted to go in the first round, but I have several in and around the second round. And I think that there could be a run on goalies in the second round, which will be really interesting to track. And that'll be, you know, to see how that affects everything. But as far as goaltenders go, we've got Michael Harabal as my number one goaltender coming in this year, Play for the Omaha Lancers. The numbers are not great, but you look at his, his size. Six foot six, his athleticism, his technique, his competitiveness. All of those suggest to me, this is a guy with starting goalie potential. It's hard to project a starting goaltender. There have been plenty of guys that we projected to go into the first round that, you know, have struggled. But I would say that Harabal himself, (coughs) excuse me, man. Allergy season, Um, I would say Harabal himself is really one of the, you know, the guys I feel has the highest ceiling of any of the goaltenders. I think he's got all of the projectable traits, but with any any goaltender you take, there is a significant amount of risk. There's a long development timeline ahead. There are a lot of different things that can happen. Harabal is slated. He was going to go back to Omaha for next season. It was just announced that he's actually going to enter UMass a year ahead of schedule. So he's going to go attend UMass next year. He's going to be playing college hockey. Based on their goalie structure, I think he's going to get a significant amount of games. I don't necessarily know if he'll get all the games or or, or 75% of the games, but he's going to get enough games to get good reps. You know, this is a, a I think whatever NHL team takes him is going to be keeping very close tabs on him. Um, and they're going to work with him a lot uh, because there is so much there. And I think it would be very difficult. There's a chance that he goes in the first round. I didn't grade him as, you know, didn't put him in, rank him in the first round. But I think that he has, of the goalies, he's the guy that I feel has the best case for being a number one in the NHL. And that can be enough to get you picked. And I think he'll be an early second round pick. We've got Adam Guyon at number 52, played for the Chippewa Steel. You, He made a name for himself at the World Junior Championship. You know, I think that he's uh, one of the more athletic goalies. There's great quickness there. He's, you know, highly competitive. We saw him almost, he was a goal away from beating Connor Bedard in Canada at the World Junior Championship, and it would have been one of the most massive upsets. But he's the reason they were even in it. And I think that he is, you know, he's the second year eligible. He played in the North American League this year. Um, I'm not 100% certain if he's going to be going to Minnesota Duluth next year or if he's going to go to the USHL with uh, Green Bay Gamblers have his rights. So we'll have to see where Adam Guyon ultimately goes for his next steps. But he came over to North America, took a chance. Um, Great job by the Chippewa Steel in the North American League. Gets the opportunity, seizes it. And, you know, I think that he showed enough of those tools. So at number 52, he's in the number two goaltender on my list. And number 54, Trey Augustine from the national team program. Lost one game in regulation all year. Wins and losses don't matter that much to me as a goaltender uh, for goalie stats, but it is still wild that you know he only lost one game in regulation this year. Backstop Team USA to a gold medal. Incredible preparation, incredible poise, calmness in the net. Checks a lot of boxes. Um, teammates love him, love playing in front of him. Um, and he delivered for them this year. Got the gold medal at the under-18 World's. He doesn't have the prototypical NHL goalie size, closer to 6'1, 6'2, but he is a goalie that I think, you know, he has enough traits and he also has the mentality um, and he'll he'll probably play an, a ton at Michigan State next year. So really good development path for him. At 65, I've got Car- Carson Bjarnason from the Brandon Wheat Kings. I think size, technique, the ability to, you know, hockey sense, all really good traits for him. I think some of his uh, finish and just kind of making the stop and, and and you know not giving up the big goal. Um, still a couple of things that he needs to work out, but I think from a size, technique, um, you know, athleticism package, I think that there's enough there to say, yeah, he's he's among the top goalies in this draft. At number 68, I've got Scott Ratzlaff. And so, you know, we've got six goalies in the top 100, which is a lot for me. I try, you know, it's not often that I'll have that many in there, but six of them are in there. And I've got Scott Ratzlaff at 68. Um, Incredibly athletic, good feel for the game. Not great size. um, uh, But, you know, I think that he is a competitor. I think, he, you know, he had a great showing at the CHL Top Prospects game. But beyond that, playing for Seattle this year, some really good starts. Um, you know, he's been in a platoon role with Thomas Millick. And so Ratzlaff is actually, oddly enough, you know, the more popular goaltender, at least in scouting circles, even though Millick is still technically, you know, he's a guy that, you know, NHL teams could look at. And he's currently backstopping, uh, you know, Seattle to both a WHL title. And they're also trying to get to the Memorial Cup. So, or, you know, going for the Memorial Cup as we record this. So, uh, but Ratzlaff hasn't really been a part of that so much, but still you look at the skills and the combination of things, Um, I think he's played well enough to earn a a shot, and I think there's a lot there. At 71, the last goalie on the top 100, but he very well could go earlier than this, is Jacob Fowler from the Youngstown Phantoms. USHL goaltender of the year, um, the most outstanding player in the Clark Cup playoffs, 952 save percentage in the Clark Cup playoffs this year. Youngstown wins their first ever Clark Cup not you know i mean he's got the size he's got technique he's got incredible hockey sense he makes everything look very easy tremendous poise in the net i think that the the only things that that he needs to really focus on he needs to just continue to work on you know his his preparation and all of the um you know just some of the off ice stuff being being in better condition and all those different things are going to make him that much better of a goalie now he's going to boston college next year he's going to be their number one goalie I mean, they've got one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Can't wait to see what that looks like there. But Jacob Fowler, uh, a very strong goaltender, really like what he brings to the table. And I tell you, you know, I think, I think that Youngstown, the season that they had, they're going to have quite a few players off that team selected in the draft and they're going to deserve to go. And, um, you know, Fowler is certainly going to be one of the earlier ones taken. Well, that's a summary. There's a hundred different, player capsules that you can read on flowhockey.tv. You can catch up with all of the draft rankings. You can get them all there. Um, Also, stay with us throughout all the way to the draft. More content coming your way. Things like late round picks that I like, um, various uh, studies on different players, a lot of video features. We're going to have video scouting reports for the first time on a number of players as well, mostly CHL players. Looking forward to that. So stay tuned to Flow Hockey because we're going to have you covered for the 2023 NHL draft with a lot of unique and different content and hopefully uh, well-informed content as well as that's uh, what we put the work in for. <clears throat> so yeah, definitely check all of that out. Really looking forward to getting that to you uh, here in these next couple of weeks. But man, it, it's getting it's getting crazy right now. We'll also have a bunch of mock drafts and other things like that, so Do not miss it. If you haven't yet, make sure you are subscribed to the Flow Hockey YouTube page. Just Flow Hockey on YouTube. Follow us there. You can subscribe. You'll get clips from this podcast. You'll also get uh, highlights and a number of original features. So make sure you're subscribed to that so you never miss a video when it comes out. And if that's a great way to engage with this podcast as well. You can watch the podcast on flowhockey.tv or the Flow Sports app. That is available Anytime you can make sure that you can never miss an episode. And if you want to see this pretty face more than listen to it, by all means go right ahead. And of course we're always available on your app of choice, whatever, wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you download uh, and subscribe to talking hockey sense, leave a five-star rating and review just to, you know, help us out a little bit. It does. I, I'm telling you, I know I say this every single week, but I'm telling you right now, the more of you that do that, the better it is for this podcast. And if you really like it, or even if you hate it, let people know about it. You can either hate listen to it or you can enjoy it like so many of you that have left the kind five-star rating and reviews have done. So uh, we're having a blast and we're only just getting started here. It's been a, a great year at flow hockey. We're coming down to the home stretch of the NHL draft much more coming next week. I'll be previewing the scouting combine and also fill you in on the various things that I'm hearing from around the NHL draft. As it gets closer, we'll also have a mock draft to talk about. and so much more huge thanks to Amanda for producing today's show a big thanks to all of you for listening please join us next week when we talk much much more about the NHL draft but that's going to do it for this week's episode of Talking Hockey Sense I'm Chris Peters we'll catch you next time